this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. I feel a lot of pressure to show up and, and kind of give them an answer. And then he said something like, you know, I'm getting really interested in not knowing. And I said, what the hell is this guy talking about? And that makes me wonder, do you all feel pressure to know the answer? And they were all just like, yes, and just kind of like unleash this kind of tension in the room to recognize that the conversation around complexity is the conversation that you are in. The, the safety community in particular should be kind of applauded for this. Safety leadership really puts the fact that we're working in a complex system first and we need to focus on learning and these things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Meltdown has landed in the safety community. You could be quite a big business, to be fair, and still have a lot of it essentially go through one person. I can see it in a lot of our customers as well. When I'm looking at leaders in a business and it's just like, everyone looks to you for an answer. You must be shattered. You've got to match people's energy and, and the level of engagement you're willing to take from them. You know what strategy you want, but you want people to feel like they have gone through some kind of participatory process. like. Don't do that. You've burned a tremendous amount of trust and political capital with people. Okay, that's a great idea. How am I gonna do that? How am I gonna actually create that culture where people are curious and open and, and discussing mistakes and seeing these as learning moments rather than being in that kind of blame framework? All right, Chris, welcome back to the podcast, mate. James, good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Hey, no worries, mate. No, when um, when you emailed me asking for like a testimonial of you going on another podcast, uh, I I mean what I said in that you were genuinely the nicest person I think I've ever spoke to on this podcast. It was such a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you the first time around. So I'm looking forward to it this time. Yeah, that's so, that's so sweet. I'm looking forward to it too. Um, and we were just looking Less- at it was. Two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, two years ago. Yeah, so unless now the the power and success that you've had has gone to your head and you're now just a really arrogant, horrible man, uh, (laughs) hopefully, (laughs) which I'm sure that's not the case. (laughs) Well, I'll let let you be the judge. We can do a a judgment lightning round at the end. (laughs) Because that's what this work is all about, judgment, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So when we last spoke, it um, was, I don't know, would you kind of, if I was to say like it was early doors for you, that would be kind of offensive. It wasn't, but like you wrote Meltdown and then it really has just, it. Um, from my perspective anyway, you seem to have blown up since then. And just the work and stuff you're doing, like you're kind of everywhere, which is amazing. But the last we spoke, we really did just get into Meltdown. I'd be really interested to see what else you're working on now. Um, but, but how was that kind of period of, growth been because that's that's madness yeah it's been really it's been really um it's been fascinating and fantastic and a lot of um self and personal growth and a lot of leading growth in my team to kind of get get here um the phrase that i use is um i feel like i'm an overnight success after only 10 years of trying because that's really (laughs) that's that's really what it feels like you know i started i started on this journey really in in 2013 left my Wall Street job, I guess I should say, so I'm Chris Clearfield. I'm the, the founder and CEO of the, the Clearfield Group. Um, and, and what we do is a couple of different things, um, but mostly we work with senior leaders in organizations that have a, a real background in expertise, usually some kind of expertise, safety, engineering, law, um, software. Uh, and now they're in leadership roles where they really benefit from letting that expertise sort of fade into the background and, and and kind of inform their work rather than them leading with that expertise. So I help leaders build cohesive and empowered teams that can really drive results within their organizations. Um, sometimes that's focused on the team itself. Sometimes it's focused on their strategy, uh, but it's also often focused on building trust and influence throughout the organization. A lot of the leaders I work with are leaders who are catalyzing change across a, a larger organization or, or even in their own line organization. Um, and change is hard. So I spend a lot of my work kind of working on um, change and, and supporting leaders who are, who are really creating transformational change uh, in their organizations. Um, so in, in 2013, when I started out, I had, you know, no idea that that's what I was going to be doing. I had, didn't have the skills to do that. Um, I didn't really have a, a, a framework, you know, really um, 
it's interesting because thinking about it now, you know, my, my co-author and I, we started writing Meltdown in 20, the end of 2015, early 2016. It came out in 2018. And in some sense, I sort of, you know, expected the book to come out and then, and then, you know, to start getting calls um, people for, for people to help. And that happened to some extent. I mean, people really were reading the book and reaching out and connecting. Um, and, you know, Meltdown is a book that is, um, that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. Um, and it requires a certain level of, of kind of, I don't want to say sophistication, but to recognize that the conversation around complexity is the conversation that you are in as a leader at work, like that really requires some, some reflection and some, some, some ability to step back from your day to day. And while a lot of leaders, you know, do have that. And I think the the safety community in particular should be kind of applauded for this because, you know, safety leadership, um, at least in this kind of, you know, new conception really puts the fact that we're working in a complex system first and we need to focus on learning and these things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Meltdown has landed in the safety community because it's been been sort of ready for the conversation. Um, you know, and and to your point, the difference between where I am now versus where I am in 2021, I mean, just just really does feel like night and day in terms of the the what what I'm able to bring to the work, the work that I'm able to do, the kind of um uh, you know, the, 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 the leaders that I get to work with are, are sort of still similar in character, but there's just, there's just more of them now. And I'm, I'm getting to have a, a broader impact, which is pretty, pretty cool. That is cool. That is really cool. I, um, I just, I was reflecting on what you said there about your book, because I always kind of, if someone said to me, I'd describe meltdown, I would kind of say it's like a really good, gateway book to the world of complexity and normal accident theory is that because the way that you and alexandra is that right uh, andras andras sorry that was it uh the way that you and andras kind of wrote the book was it's easy to read and these are really complex ironically they're really, really complex theories and um and like they had got to your point it needs a level of, of maturity but I kind of maybe I've been describing it wrong. Maybe you do need a bit of a. I I just found it really actually a pleasure to read, and actually it kind of. I remember reading your book, going, "Oh, actually, no, I do, I do have this understanding right." Whereas when I've read all of the academia, I was like, "I think I've got this." Whereas right. then I'd read how you've wrote how you guys kind of wrote the book and then tied it to tangible stories fyi which i've stolen all of them uh <laughs> just used them in Great. all of my workshops um but, but how you how you kind of turn up oh yeah that's that's how i would talk about it actually and then so i found it actually like I, I don't know maybe it's not a gateway book but but ultimately that's how i saw it no, I, I think it's, it's I mean, this is a great distinction to kind of play in for a moment, because I, I think you're right. I really think it is a gateway book. And, you know, I, and I'm really proud of, I mean, the book really does build a bridge between kind mm -hmm. of, you know, you, you, you come in and you're maybe interested about this, this topic, or you're interested in safety or risk or complexity. And, and this is, I think, this book really does build a bridge. I mean, again, I'm really proud of it. I think we do we do a good job bringing these anecdotes in, bringing all these stories in um, to kind of bring these points to life. Because you know, I mean, some of us are are risk nerds and and kind of love you know love anything that involves any kind of failure. Um, but but the stories is what brings it to life, and I like the way we we tell the stories. I think if I were to if I were to tell you know, my, my 2015 self, if I were to give my 2015 self some advice around writing a book, I think the advice I would give is I would say, look, you can write a great book about anything. And so what, what is it time for, uh, with, with this book? In other words, um, I think there was a, and this is just, this is just a commercial question at some point, it's almost more like a marketing question than a, than a kind mm. of content question. And the marketing question is like, you know, what's the conversation that people, what's the conversation that people are already in that you can contribute to, right? So mm. there, there's a there's a danger in that because if you show up just as another kind of commodity in the ongoing conversation, it's not that, it's not helpful or interesting. 
And I think what we really are are doing is contributing to a new conversation that is that is that is just starting. And from the perspective of like a a tool of you know from the perspective of marketing a book, you'd kind of rather be in a conversation that exists in some sense. Like you'd like to make a splash in a conversation that exists rather than have yeah. to create a whole new conversation. You know, I think about like Malcolm Gladwell, right? So. You know, he really has created this whole genre in some sense of this kind of, um, you know, very accessible narrative nonfiction. I mean, they're they're this kind of research driven nonfiction. I mean, he really he really created that um, that genre. And and now he's such a, a go to in that space. Um, why? Why am I thinking of that? I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's if that's interesting, is, but they're. It's a, it's a similar actually like when you you kind of made that connection there like thinking about it now I could see the inspiration in that actually like that there is a style of writing now that's non non fiction storytelling in a way like right you've got yourselves you've got Gladwell um, you know Matthew Syed kind of very similar style of like yeah here's what the academia says but actually the academia bit is probably only a um, couple of lines and then it's just a story and, and an example right. of how how that was seen and and uh, Daniel H Pink his work's very much the same as that as well um, yeah you, you could probably say Amy Amy uh, Edmondson's book um this big popular psychological safety book, that's probably the same as well in that there's yeah. so much academia behind this, but it's like, how do we make it accessible to like the, the pop, the, the common person that's trying to, the practitioners of the world that, that need this information that don't want to sit down and read academic papers. Um, that's right. That, yeah. And it just, yeah. So no, I could see a lot of that actually in, in your writing. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. And, 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 you know, like I aspire for those people to be, you know, my 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 peers in many ways, right? I mean, you know, Dan Pink, um, I mean, these these these, yeah. these writers are amazing. Charles Duhigg was was kind of an inspiration too. I mean, I thought Power of Habit was just a great book, uh, in terms of in terms of this this genre, um, and you know, even even there, I think is is a good example, right? Like, I don't know, I probably would still write the same book that I wrote in some sense, and now I'm aware of like, okay you know, what are the conversations that are going on right now that I can be, that I can contribute something to? And um, I still think there's contributions to make around this topic of complexity. The thing I think I've learned from Meltdown to make it a little bit more concrete between, you know, when that came out and and now, and this kind of goes to your, your point, Meltdown is written at a level of, a little bit of a level of abstraction that I think I didn't understand at the time where, you know, we'll say something in the book, like it's a, it's really oriented towards solutions and um, like a solution, like openly discuss errors with your team, you know, is very easy to write down on a piece of paper. But if you are a, a even a senior leader in an organization and that's not the culture of your organization, then the question becomes, well, okay, that's a great idea. How am I going to do that? How am I going to actually create that culture where, people are curious and open and and discussing mistakes and seeing these as learning moments rather than being in that kind of blame framework. And in some sense, you know, in the last two, three years, that's really been my work to help leaders go from, well, this is theoretically a good idea to, okay, how do I actually create the culture of my team, create the culture of my organization, create change in my organization to do these things. And so for me, that's been the skills that, that I've, learned and ended up bringing to my work, which is all about how do I support leaders in creating change in their organizations? And, and you know, how do I support leaders in supporting their frontline workers in, you know, working at their expertise instead of having to fit into some, some kind of bureaucratic system that doesn't really make sense. So I, yeah. I, I think for me, that's the kind of, yeah, that's the bit, that's the transition bit for me. I want to get into this leadership piece because um, I've got a couple of questions and maybe some topics for us to get into around that. Um, but I do I do have one question actually around complexity to bring you all the way back to your original kind of yeah. work piece. There is, you know, when you get like the normal accident theory and it has examples of like, like tightly coupled and complex organizations, it'll say things like nuclear, uh, a nuclear plant, for example. Sure. Yep. And then it will put a lot of things like 
I don't know, like school, for example, in like not complex and not tightly coupled. Right. Do you think that model is is up to date? Because I think the world that we live in now, a school is a very complex and tightly coupled yeah. system. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, um, you know, we sort of, I mean, we thought it, it, it got hard when writing the book to figure out examples that weren't complex and, yeah. and, and tightly coupled in some sense. And I think the, the, you know, the overarching statement there is that the world of the early 1980s and the world of the 2020s are, are very different worlds from a complexity yeah. and, and tight coupling perspective. And, you know, I mean, as soon as you said schools, I mean, what I what I thought about is, um, you know, there's a ton of things to think about with that, right? But one, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, social media has for, for one thing, right? And the role of social media in, in schools and, you know, the fact that anything that is said in a classroom can, will, can be in the world in 30 seconds, right? I mean, it's just an incredible amount, an incredible layer of tight coupling that just was not, was not there before. And then you've got technology yeah. systems behind that. You've got, you know, the kind of the, the, the background of the political world that we live in, you know, this kind of politics of outrage that, that we have here in the U S um, kind of all, all around us. So yes, I think I, I'm totally with you. I think that um, there is much left now that is in that kind of, you know, lo loosely coupled, uh, uh, not non-complex part of the part of the, the spectrum. I mean, even in Perot's time, you know, like, car you know you could have a car engine that was a a simple system right i mean yes it's a piece of machinery um yeah. and if it's basically driven by you know spark plugs in the distributor cap then then it's it's it is it is simple it is understandable whereas you know we write about volkswagen diesel gate but you look at i mean you know every car these days is made with a ton of software right a ton of computers yeah. in it and sometimes they fail in weird ways so yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think the the amount in our world that is uh, not complex is is uh, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. At least in the developed West. And I I also am cautious now that what what ends up happening is that Perot gets uh, the Heinrich treatment, where we all just start saying Perot's stupid and his work is stupid, and 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 that we unfairly tar him with this doesn't work in the modern world when it's like, well, yeah, that's because he didn't write it in the world right now. Did he, he wrote it way back in right. like the eighties or whatever it was, or the sixties right. or something like, so I, I don't mean that when I ask that question to be like, Oh, it, it's a stupid model and it doesn't work. Like, no, the, the theory is right. But actually like, if we were to just go off of the picture that we get on Google and we Google no, normal accident theory, if we just went off that, we would probably go down the wrong path to start to think some things are not complex and some things are. Well, actually in the world we live in now, a lot of it is really complex. Um, and, and I do think your book does a quite, I do think yours and Andreas's book does a really good job of that. I think, I actually think in our guidebook, we, we, quote in this one i think it might, it might be in the next one i can't remember um and we reference it as well don't worry but um, mm. I, i'm pretty <laughs> sure we we kind of and i pretty much say this all the time in that like if chris and Josh think that making christmas dinner or or i think you guys could, would call it thanksgiving dinner but like over here we're not weird we have just christmas <laughs> 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 but like if um if 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 that's complex like surely your business is complex. Like, come on, let's not right. kid ourselves. If making a Sunday roast dinner is a complex and tightly coupled system, then so is your business. That's right. Yeah, no, that's, I think I, I like how you put that. And I will say about Perot, I mean, we spent a couple of days with him, uh, just kind of being with him. He didn't really know what to expect from us. Um, but I think with a combination of like Andras's credentials and, and my my persistence, he he agreed to meet with us. And then, uh agreed to meet with us for like an hour and then we ended up spending two days with him in in, in new wow. haven um you know he was a a pretty um amazing combination of uh brilliant and humble and curious which i think Gosh. all of us could 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 do well to emulate i mean you know here we were these people that that didn't he didn't know 
who we were. I mean, Andres has a PhD from Harvard, so that that's that's kind of a helpful thing for for, for somebody who is prestige oriented, which he really he really wasn't. I mean, he 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 was. Um, Anyway, he was, you know, engaging in conversation with us. He could tell right away that we had actually read his stuff, that we had read normal accident theory, that we weren't a kind of, you know, uninformed journalist that was that was sort of yeah. coming by, that we weren't, in fact, journalists. Um, not that there's anything against journalism. A lot of great journalists out there. Um, <laughs> and and he was, I, I got to be careful, right? Um, yeah, uh, you try to navigate so, this. Some of, friends, some of my best friends are journalists. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, you know, he was really quite humble in letting us kind of like push and prod on this on this theory that he created. And he would say things like, Oh, that's a really that's a really interesting take. I wish I would have thought of that before, right? So so it was really interesting to kind of um just like play with him intellectually. And I think he would be nice. um he would be uh you know really, really delighted for for this kind of conversation. That's nice. I I I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I I think it. I feel like I need to say it that 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 seems to be something that's lacking in modern day academics. Um, I don't feel yeah. a lot of like so when I fed back to you like where we started this conversation that was that you were a pleasure to speak to. That's in reflection of those big thought leaders, particularly in safety that we've had on, have been some of the the least. The, the the it's been some of the worst interviews that we've done and it's been really not humble quite it felt quite arrogant hard to get a conversation in um you know doesn't listen to different opinions which is ironic because like we're your customer so like if i if i don't get it <laughs> you you've got a problem in how you're selling your product mate so uh, i yeah. found that interesting but that's nice to hear that, that charles is like that and what an amazing well, it, experience that must have been it was an amazing yeah, and I think he, I think he, he passed away in twenty. I think it was twenty nineteen. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I think I remember, I had just had lunch with uh, Tim Hartford and Amy Edmondson in London. I, I, I brought the three of us together for a lunch. It was, yeah, it was, it was lunch. Yeah, <laughs> I, bet that, I bet that was a boring conversation. Jeez, <laughs> fun. It was a pretty fun conversation and it was right around when Tim was launching cautionary tales. So it was kind of cool to hear kind of what, nice. you know, what was on his mind and what, what he was working on. But I just, wow. I just say that because I think, I, I think we either had found out right at, I think we had found out at that, like right before that lunch. And I think Amy, maybe do, I don't remember somebody brought it to the lunch and, and then we kind of all knew and we just had a sort of moment or it might've been a couple of days later. I don't remember. This is how human, how good human memory is, but you said something there that, that was, Oh, you know, this is actually kind of a nice bridge to the to the to the conversation about leadership because I think that something that can happen to all of us is that, and I think especially if you view your idea, if you identify with your idea as your product, like something that can happen to all of us is um, that we really we we want to be right and we really feel like our job is to know the answer and. I think that's yeah. that's a thing that I've noticed a lot with the leaders I work with that, um, you know, the start of my kind of, you know, I, I won't say leaving Meltdown behind, but the start of my kind of transitioning from Meltdown as the, the center of what I do to kind of the supporting foundation in some sense um, was when I was working with a team in, in 2020. And I was it was a, a, a kind of safety and maintenance team at a big um at a, at a big global oil and gas uh, company. And they were really trying to transform the way their organization approached this whole, this whole, approach this whole, uh, this whole piece of work, approach, uh, you know, maintenance, approach safety. And they were sort of stuck. And they had asked me to come in and do a couple of workshops, which because it was mid pandemic, we're, we're all on Zoom. And the first one went went well, and the second one felt a little bit stilted to me. And so I was going into this third one, and I realized that I was feeling really anxious about it. And I was like, "Gosh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna show. I don't know what to talk to them about. Like, I they have this complex problem. They're they're asking me for help. Like, I feel a lot of pressure to show up and and kind of give them an answer. And then I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. interesting." Um, and I was doing some coaching training at the time and, and my, my mentor, uh, my teacher in that program is still a mentor of mine. I remember he said something like, um, 
he had just done a coaching demo and then he said something like, you know, I'm getting really interested in not knowing. And I said, what the hell is this guy talking about? That was what my, in my brain. I remember that thought very distinctly. What the hell is this guy talking about getting interested in not knowing? So that kind of got me interested in not knowing and what it meant to not know. <laughs> um, and so I went to this third workshop and I, and I said, Hey, you know, I realized that I have been feeling a lot of uh, kind of anxiety coming to this workshop. And what I, what I have realized is that I feel this pressure to, to, to know the answer, to come in and to, to give you guys some kind of answer about your problem. And I said, but I don't know the answer. And, you know, actually, even if I did, you know, quote unquote, know the answer, like it wouldn't really matter because you all wouldn't believe me. You know, you've got decades of, of experience in this industry. And if I came in saying, this is how you do it, you know, you find all sorts of problems with that and, and you'd be right. And I said, but I, that makes me wonder, do you all feel pressure to know the answer? And they were all just like, yes. And just kind of like unleashed this kind of tension in the room that was wow. there. And so what, what, what that did is that freed us up as a group to shift from this idea of like, okay, the job here is to know the answer to, to shift to the idea that like, actually what we're here to do is just to, to try things, to figure, to, to, to play with stuff, to figure things out, to, you know, to experiment, to, to stop thinking in terms of kind of how do we solve this problem across this massively complex organization and, and start thinking in terms of like, well, what's, what's one thing we can do? What's the next thing we can do to kind of a, you know, make this better, advance this work. How do we think in terms of experiments and, um, you know, find people that are willing to to play with this change with this organization, um, uh, you know, with this this small team inside this company, and and go and build on those success. And and in fact, that's actually that's exactly what they did. And three years later, they've gone from a team of like six people to like 75 people um, having a huge impact in their organization. And I'm still getting to work with them. It's really, really satisfying. Mm. Um, and I think if you're, you know, this, this, this idea of not knowing is really, it's hard to embrace. It's hard to be an expert and embrace not knowing. And I think that's like, we, 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 we talked just a little bit about this before we hit record, but, but that's part of what I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in supporting leaders in this moment where, they like, yes, they have some expertise and the expertise that they've brought with them so far in their career. It's not what is needed to to sort of support them in doing the next thing, you know, building culture change, building a cohesive and empowered team. You know, they they need something. They still need that expertise and they need that expertise to to rest in the background a little bit. So they're not kind of leading with it like a stick that they're whacking people with trying to convince people of things. It, it informs their stance, it informs what they know, and what they realize is that the whole way that they're going to work effectively is is by building relationships with people. Um, mm. I wonder how much of that, that anxiety, though, comes from, like, a societal expectation that you that a leader should know something. Like, being totally. in a position is, like, you. it's really interesting. So... I kind of experienced that anxiety, but in a different way, like when we do workshops and stuff for sure, totally get it, but also probably get more anxious when we put YouTube content out, TikTok content out, podcast content out. Um, there's, well, I get a lot more anxiety on that, particularly because it's still a very lonely space on YouTube. There's not a lot of people in safety doing it, particularly the more technical side of safety, but um, there's not a lot of people doing it. The other side is that it is that whenever we get those those comments that like so we, we did a TikTok the other day where I was I was purposely like let's say let's say aggressive I was purposely aggressive about a topic um, which is a really silly uh, but but important topic which is something that's very popular particularly in the UK called Toolbox Talks um, so I, I I just I tied them all with the same brush and I said you know. They're, they're absolutely shy and they're a waste of time. Um, and essentially that's a reflection of what the shop floor think of them. And they're our customers, right? So you only have to spend two minutes on TikTok to see what people think about safety. You only have to spend two minutes on a construction site, talk to a builder to, to, to know what they think, particularly in the UK, um, about safety. Um, and anyway... The comments, like, Jesus Christ. We put it out on LinkedIn, and, I was, and the second it went out on LinkedIn, I was like, this is such a bad idea. I should not have done this. Um, 
just like safety professionals are essentially are immediately defensive of this. And then I feel like they're immediately essentially attacking my competence because I put myself in a position of, I don't want to say leadership, but like, you know, there's not many people making this content. So naturally, I suppose people think if you're making content, you must know what you're doing. But anyway, we make this content. Every comment that, that is remotely critical is like really hard to deal with. It's really mm. hard to deal with. So I can really empathize with that. And people will nitpick on these little bits. And it was interesting that one guy in particular said, um, in my little jokey thing, I was like, yeah, there are three types of asbestos. Um, and there's more types than three, but this guy was like, oh, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. There's actually six types of asbestos. And I was just like, that's what people expect from people leading is that if yeah. you know a lot about that, you have to know a lot about everything. Otherwise you don't deserve to be a leader. Yeah. Well, this is a great, um, it, it, it's a great point. And I think what, what I think is true, uh, true is a strong word. So if we go back to our, our, our conversation a minute ago about the whole world is getting more complex and getting, getting more into this, I think there are fewer and fewer problems where um, where leaders' role is actually to know the answer. Because even if you look at, like, again, a quote-unquote relatively simple organization, um, you know, it's a complex system, right? And so one of the my, – my favorite back in the envelope definition of a complex system is, like, it is a system where – you know, no one person can hold all of the information, right? No one person can hold all of the all of the pieces. So I, I think if you think about this moment that we're in when it comes to leadership, like we are really challenging and, and I think the the kind of, you know, the Taylorist or the Henry Ford model of there is a a boss who knows the answer and the boss, you know, tells people what to do and then those people do it. That model is totally broken, right? The model is in fact inverted. It is the people at the front line who know the answer and we need a cadre of leadership who has the ability to listen to them, to get insights about their business so they can bring the the kind of strategic and business context to their decisions. But but middle management is is and senior leadership, it is a very, very hard role to be in these days. I think you need just a wide, wide variety of of skills, you, need to, you know, again, be able to listen to people and you need to be able to bring that strategic orientation to things. And it's only that combination that I think, um, you know, actually, actually moves us forward. So the, the, the pressure you're feeling is very much a real pressure, right? And look, we go through, I mean, our whole schooling, our whole educational system is designed to present us with solvable problems that we then come up with an, with an answer to. I mean, what your you know, there's also a bit of marketing mixed in with what we're doing and what, what people say about marketing. And I'm not a marketing expert, uh, you know, despite the fact that, that I kind of do a lot of it in my work. But what people say is essentially, you know, it's OK to be polarizing. Right. Your your goal is not mm -hmm. to get people to like you. You know, the, your your goal is to get people to notice you and to kind of mm -hmm. to create a tribe. If you tap into Seth Godin's language around like who are the people that are really going to benefit by following you? And it's probably not mm -hmm. the person that that you know knows or cares about the six types of asbestos because at least at this stage maybe they're very they're really oriented towards that towards that expertise and you're kind of talking about something different but yeah. but you know they they watched it they consumed it right like maybe maybe there's an yeah. opening for them that comes from that there is also this like the knock-on effect of that is that it can be very lonely i think as a as a, as a leader, particularly if you're in like a small business, like yeah. if you're leading a small business and you are the, the, to like, even you could be quite a big business to be fair and still have a lot of it essentially go through one person or have one true leader or visionary for the business or, or whatever. Um, and that can be quite, quite stressful and quite lonely to feel like society expects you to have the answers for everything i i know from running our businesses that that's that's hard and it does feel like that sometimes even though it's not necessarily it is for me but i can see it in a lot of our customers as well when i'm looking at these these leaders in a business and it's just like god everyone looks to you for an answer like you must be shattered 
Yeah. So I, I, there's, there's two things we can talk about here. So uh, one thing I'm, I'm, I'd like to share a little bit about my team and, and kind of how we do things and how we think about things. Um, and then I think there is something about that loneliness that is worth, worth mentioning more broadly or that feeling of, of isolation that's worth mentioning more broadly. So I also would, would add another bit onto those, those two yeah. breakdowns of that, but I'd probably follow up with a question. So just in case you're going to answer it, and you might answer it already, but another question would be, does that leader kind of unconsciously create that situation themselves through a lack, a lack of comfortableness with letting go as well? Like, do they create that loneliness because they don't, they're not allowing other people to, to do if I may, or to make that, they're not given the autonomy. There we go. Within the business. That's the best way for me to. Yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's a great way to that's a great way to do it. So we've got three things here. So here's the thing I'll say about 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 my business and the way I work with my team. There's two kind of things. We we brought in some uh, two coaches that I worked with in other capacities. We brought them in to work with with our team at the beginning of the year. Around uh, we we have we run a sprint process. So you know every six weeks or so we run a kind of sprint where we've got two usually it's two because that's kind of what our capacity is on top of all of our kind of run work but we've got two things that we're working to improve or or um and it can be externally facing or it can be internally facing so it can be like one thing one one sprint we ran was like simplify our project management system so we spent six weeks kind of understanding the challenge we were facing you know coming up with ways of 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 solving it implementing that and then getting feedback from people that was a kind of and the whole team is working on that sprint project whilst also doing what what do you call the running of the business which is Ex- actually running of the business yeah exactly that's exactly right, right. and you know different different people on the team will have different um different mm-hmm. roles so we have a i have like a finance person so she kind of was part of that sprint project both giving input but then also organizing her own space in that project management platform uh, kind of according to our principles that we that we uh, discovered. So yes, and sometimes sometimes it's only you know not every project involves everybody in the business. So it's kind of this 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 mix. And as we were setting up this sprint process, which which my colleague Rain runs, um, we talked about what kind of team we were going to be or what kind of team we were. And it's pretty interesting because you know, I mean, I'm the primary producer for for the business, right? I mean, I'm coaching i'm doing the consulting um i now have this this uh product which i'll talk about in a little bit which is which is a little bit not hands-off for me because i'm still very involved but but i'm not always the one delivering everything in that or at least that's the vision for it um but so there's a way that we've talked about our team is sometimes our team operates like a surgical where it's like i'm the surgeon you know i'm gonna do consulting, like let's say go and run a workshop, right? Or something like that, or go and run a strategy. You know, I do strategy mapping work with with leaders, uh, oftentimes in on safety teams. It's like, okay, really, what is the strategy of this of this safety team? What are you what are you all here to do? Um, because if it's just you don't have a strategy, then you're just kind of constantly getting buffeted by the waves. Um so I'm going to go run a two day workshop, right? What do I want? I, I really do want to be like a surgeon. I want to show up with the preparation I've done and I want everything else to just be in place. I don't want to have to think about like how I'm getting from the, from the hotel to the venue. I don't want to think about, you know, any of that stuff or how I get from the airport to the hotel. Like it may sound a bit like a prima donna and I, I don't, I don't think I am a prima donna. Maybe, I don't know. You can, we'll, we'll put that in the judgment section at the end of the podcast that we <laughs> promised people. <laughs> but like, what I want to be there, I want to be focused on the work, right? And I want to be like, you know, scalpel, and then I want the scalpel to be there. I want the handouts to be at the client site. Like, I don't want to be, you know, I'll do a little bit of schlepping, right? But I'd like to generally minimize my schlepping so I can can focus on being in the moment. Um, yeah. Or, you know, booking things, right? Like my coaching clients, like, I don't, want to think about when we're going to meet. I just want to show up and be with them, right? That's where I'm affected. So there's part of our team that's organized kind of like a surgical team where I am the surgeon and it's sort of, you know, I'm always being very clear about what I want. We're always iterating and learning, but but that's organized around the, the production aspects of this. And then there's there's aspects of it that are 
where we're like a, a football team, right? Where we are kind of people on the field together. We all need to or there's going to be there's going to be gaps and there's going to be holes and we are jointly determining our direction and our strategy and and what we're going to do and so for me to change it i mean it's tricky right i've got to really change hats and sort of remind myself like okay actually i want to hold my voice back here because i'm not showing up as the surgeon here right i'm showing up as a as a partner Ooh. and if i participate equally then my voice is going to be i'm going to dominate right so Ooh. so it's been really interesting to kind of build those muscles for us as a, for us as a, for us as a team. Um, and then I think your other two points, um, you know, about loneliness and about, oh, so, so I'll say built on that, you know, I say to my team all of the time, like, hey, I just want to be clear, like, I don't know what we're doing here. Like, we're really just figuring this out. Like, we, we are, you know, I'm really transparent and really open about our process and about my process. Like, yeah, here's the thing I'd like to try here. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Um, you know, what are the, what objections or concerns do you have? Right. Those are the kinds of conversations we have. Um, mm. And I think, you know, that really, I mean, I do so much to kind of, I mean, also with my clients too, like I'm always saying, you know, I am not here as somebody who has figured this out. I am here as somebody who is on this journey with you. Because uh, I think that that kind of modeling is is important, and I think we really we really need just need to admit so much more that we don't know the answer, and the more that we can all just have be in that conversation and destigmatize that, I think the 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 better off we all are. Yeah, it it's fascinating, isn't it? Because there's definitely this 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 transition that we're hopefully going through where maybe society within a business or society as a general as well, like start to understand that, uh, that a leader is still a human, right? So they have fallibilities. They also can't have all the answers. You're part of that, giving them making and thinking of the answer. But interestingly as well, like I can never pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to bother, but um, the, um, the head of Toyota during the whole, like, I don't know what you would call it. Six, would that be Sigma? No, it wouldn't be. Like, the whole, like, um, it wouldn't be Six Sigma, would it? What's the... Oh, they're lean? Yeah, like, the the original version of it, though. Not what you see nowadays, which is just freaking shadow boards and stuff. But, like, the proper stuff of it. Where if you look back on, like, classic Toyota, there's these amazing stories of, like, this leader who... Who's like going down to the shop floor and and telling you know begging people to tell him everything that's wrong with the business and when people are coming to him and being like oh here's everything that's right he's like I don't give a shit about what's right I want to know what's wrong and and it's like wow that was a freaking long time ago that this person was doing that and we still kind of haven't picked it up so there's part of me as a grumpy old kind of skeptic that's like oh, we haven't got it all these years past where are we going to get it now. Um, However, then the more positive side of me is kind of like I'm seeing a lot more of these conversations, um, which is which is really positive. Interestingly, though, I'm not necessarily seeing a shift in the demand from the shop floor from a leader. I feel like the demand from the shop floor is is security and and that feeling of like, yeah, security in a way. And they feel like they get that from a leader that has all the answers. And I remember going through a business redesign. I think it was a business redesign. I can't remember. It was something. And it's a period of change in an organization. And the business had done it, what I would say, the, the right way. So they essentially came to like middle management and senior management. And I was part of the like SLT kind of group. And they came to us and they said like, we need solutions. Like we want ideas. We don't have the answer, but here's what we think the problem is. Please, can you go away and come up with something? And I just want to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks, kind of thing. And I was like, wow. Like, and then I remember. I think it was. I can't remember what job it was, but wherever I was, um, well, I can, but I don't want to mention it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> ultimately, like, I was at this organization that really was like this old fashioned traditional, like not very nice place to work in a lot of, a lot of points in the business coming to us with this really mature, like modern way of working. And I was like, 
wow. The really interesting thing was the overarching feedback from middle management and the SLT was you're supposed to come with us and answers. We're not supposed to give you the answers. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And I've never really forgot that. And I don't really see much of a change from that in the last, like, say, three or four years. Right. Well, it's, I mean, you put your finger on, there's a bunch of interesting things in that, in that story. Um, thank Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. I mean, the, the two of the things that stand out for me are one, you can't do this stuff overnight. Right. So, yeah. so people yeah. are, people are patterned into a certain way of working and, yeah. you know, rightfully skeptical when, when, you know, leadership shows up with, Hey, this is our, our whole new way. It's like, well, really? Yeah. Like, cause, cause they've yeah. also been through, you know, this is the fifth or sixth time that their company has done a reorganization or claim that yeah. they're going to be working with a new set of principles or whatever. And, yeah. you know, ultimately it, it, that those often don't, don't stick. So, but, so I think there has to be a, a habit. And I also think to your point that there, there, there is a sort of, you know, um, almost like false comfort in, in this belief that leaders know the mm -hmm. answer and that, that, that you, you are supposed to just follow them. Right. And I think the, the thing I think that leaders need to bring is a confidence in their framework, right? Uh, like a, 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 a strong process, right? That's what, yeah. that's what I think leaders need to bring. And I think there is a transition point where as leaders, we, we get to stop focusing on our expertise and start focusing on how do we create a strong container for solving challenges yeah. collectively, right? How do we Even facilitate a framework meeting? kind of thing? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, so to me, that's kind of what I see the, 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 the transition as, and I do think that there's a lot of forces, you know, cultural and otherwise that say that leaders are supposed to know the answer. And I, I think, you know, one way you could, you could, conceive of the job of a leader is that they're supposed to do the right thing, even when it's unpopular, even when it's hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of, that includes admitting that you don't know the answer and to bringing that mm -hmm. vulnerability to things and, and taking the, taking the first step. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad just selfishly. I'm really glad that's where you went with that story. Cause where I went with that story has led to a key part of our framework of what we do is that, you, you mentioned habits, like you've got to have to be a habit over a time of doing, you can't just turn up, change the way you work and then expect everyone to be like, wow, this is amazing. Some people will, you know, those early adopters and stuff, but most people will be like, oh, right. this is a bit weird. Um, and we talk about it like essentially what you're trying to drive is like a cultural change within the business. And that actually comes over a long period of time from interaction after interaction after interaction, like habitual interactions. And you can have, I mean, like the way we describe it would be like, you can have interactions that don't contribute to that end goal, but as long as there's more of the ones that do than there is of the ones that don't. It, yeah. So I was kind of like, when you went there with that, I was like, I'm glad because that's kind of what we've been saying, which is good. So I feel like we've got it right. <laughs> got, I got some validation out of that, Chris. So thank you very much. Yeah, you know, you're welcome. I, I mean, I think if we if we just stay with that for for a moment, because I, I really I really do join you in 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 that view of things. I think a thing that that leaders can easily make a mistake with, or, or sort of lead themselves astray with, in some sense, is, um, you know, you you've you've got to invite people's energy. You've got to match people's energy and, and the level of engagement you're willing to, 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 to take from them basically. So what do I mean by that? If you are actually feeling really, really open about co-creating a strategy with your team, then by all means, really invite their energy, right? Invite, invite their participation, really energize them, you know, invest in that, um, if you're not though, if you know what strategy you want, but you want people to feel like they have gone through some kind of participatory process, like don't do that. Right. Cause, cause people know at the end of the day, if you're really holding the decision tightly to your chest and you invite them to this big participatory process and then kind of do the thing that everybody suspected you would do to begin with, it's, it's, it's off, right. You've, you've really kind of you've burned a tremendous amount of trust and, 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 yeah. and political capital with people. It's not to say that you can't just make the decision you want. Right. But then yeah. you're just informing people, 
right? So, so, I, and it's not that you have to, and I think people often make this mistake where they feel like, well, if I have to invite, if I invite everybody in, then I'm going to lose control of the conversation and they're going to take things in a direction that isn't right for the business or doesn't feel right. And I don't think that's right. I think as long as you invite people in with clarity that you are going to make the final decision, then that's totally fine. Then you're, then you're just inviting them to participate in a different way. But the real tragedy is when you as a leader mismatch the kind of energy with the actual level of the actual level of participation, not the stated level of participation. I I really like that actually, because how we would kind of, I think, I think maybe say the same message in that when we talk about like leadership styles, so everyone would be like autocratic and democratic and uh, I don't know, like rule based and all of these different ways of, of working. Right. Um, and you might get different characters. So people might be like, oh, this is a, this is a Gates and this is a Jobs and then this is a Obama and so on. And, and you'd be like, oh, which, which style of leader is uh, like, LinkedIn would say, this is the leader that you want. And it's like, well, not really. Cause it depends on the situation. Like actually, if this is an emergency situation, I don't really want someone that's going to be going around going, hi, what's your opinion? Hi, right. well, I want someone with a big pair of cojones that's going to make a decision and then work out whether it was right or, or wrong. Like just make the decision. Let's do something because this is a novel and emergency situation. Whereas if we're trying to drive big transformation, then I don't really want that person that, that just doesn't really listen to people. I want someone very different. I want someone who is democratic and uh, you know listening and going out and getting consent and stuff but there is this kind of um message i pick up sometimes in that that people will favoritism a style of something particularly leadership and then demonize another style of leadership which actually in certain situations would be really good that's right that's such a good way to put it and it, and it resonates so much with me because what you know i do a lot of one-on-one coaching with 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 senior leaders and they're 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 fairly senior in their business which means they've got a they've got a leadership style at this point in Mm -hmm. time and and given that we're working together they see a challenge that this leadership style isn't supporting them to meet and Mm -hmm. so the way i always talk about my coaching is that we're we're working to grow people's ranges right so Mm -hmm. you know i think you you put that so beautifully like you want to be able to show up with the leadership style that supports you in the situation in supports you in in solving the challenge that you're trying to solve. And, you know, so I I went away and well, went away. I sat at my desk, but I talked to people in different places. I I spent, (laughs) I spent time over the, over the summer, um, uh, interviewing, probably about 30 leaders from, from, from different businesses, different industries, different levels of leadership, some of whom I had worked with very closely, um, who'd been longtime clients, some of whom I had just was just meeting for the first time was, was something that somebody had had passed on to me or a connection that somebody had made. And I, I sort of started out by asking kind of what did they, and these were all people who led teams or were part of influencing organizations. So I kind of think of both of those things as, as leadership. And um, if I just stick with the teens aspect of it for a moment, I sort of started by asking them kind of, you know, what what do you see as the most important thing to to leading your team to success? And what kind of percolated through those conversations was that what people really wanted was a kind of cohesive team that was empowered to make the right decisions and that had enough context to make the right decisions and that ultimately had their eye on the results that they were trying to, to drive. And so that was really what focused me, kind of this question of how do leaders create cohesive and empowered teams that that get results, that really do advance their advance their 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 work and are doing the right work, right? Advancing the work of the of the company or the organization or the division or whatever, whatever the right unit of analysis is. Um, and so that was a really, a really interesting process. And so I did those interviews, I kind of transcribed them all, stuck them in chat. He had conversations with ChatGPT about them, sort of leaned back and kind of blurred my eyes a little bit, um, and then also brought in my own consulting and, and coaching work and sort of brought in like, okay, well, what have I seen work in organizations? What have I seen work with individual leaders? What are the challenges I'm, you know, the leaders that I'm working with are, are bringing? And so I went away and I I really did go away for a little while and just kind of 
go into my own thought space for a while, marinated a little bit and, and kind of out the other side, I, I created this framework that I'm calling the clear leadership framework. Um, and clear is an acronym that stands for curiosity and listening, uh, empowerment and accountability and results. And you can see that curiosity and listening are sort of twins of each other. So if you're, if you're curious, we are going to ask people questions. The next thing you need to be able to do is listen, right? And if you're empowering people, if you're kind of giving people a chance to do independent work on their own, you've also got to have that accountability mechanism where you can have, you know, not the traditional kind of like blame style accountability conversations that I think so many of us, you know, grew up um having in school and our jobs or, or, or being the subject of, is maybe a better way to put it. Um, but this kind of collaborative accountability, accountability is a way to learn, accountability is a way to grow. Uh, and then the, the, the R, the results bit is sort of, how do you tie that all together? Um, one of the things I see with a lot of leaders, even very sophisticated leaders, is they have a kind of like an inherited model of, of leadership where, you know, they have the kind of the kind of meetings with their team or the meetings with their boss that they sort of grew up having without ever really having a chance to take a step back and say like, well, hang on, like, why are we having fortnightly one-on-ones? Like, what's the purpose of these? Could we, uh, could we accomplish that purpose in a different way? Um, you know, I don't have one-on-one meetings with my team uh, outside of doing specific work, right? So if we're doing a piece of work together, we'll meet to advance that work. Um, the, the one exception that I make is I, I meet with everybody in my organization and we're, we're small, so that's feasible, you know, about every quarter, between every quarter, every, every, every three, four months, um, between 15 minutes and an hour I'll spend with people. And it's just about our relationship. Like how, how, how is our work going? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What's your situation? Do you want to do more of something? Do you want to do less of something? How are we working together? You know, what do you love about this work? What do you not love about it? How do you feel about compensation? Like, you know, those kinds of questions that are, are these sort of big questions that, that, you know, if you're having, I don't care how many weekly one-on-ones, like nobody's going to, you know, slot that between their status report on a project, like to go deep and talk about, you know, what they, what they, what they care about the work. So Anyway, that results piece also involves kind of how do you own the process as a as a leader? So so that framework, I mean, that hope is or or what I see is I see that framework is kind of like being a bridge to take a, a lot of the senior leaders I work with that are, um, you know, very, very skillful and just kind of like round out their round round out their their skill set so that they really can lead at that senior level knowing what they're going to do, knowing that their teams understand the overall context of their work and are on the same page. Um, and, you know, being able to, to really um, lead with much more ease uh, and, and also get more done. It's a pretty cool combination. Gene, what's really interesting that every single question you went through was more from the, it sounded, it was context of, from the context of like, what can we do to help you? Whereas previous, my experience of being in being an employee in those conversations are, um, what do you want from me as an employee? Like it was more like, so tell me about your performance. How do you think your performance is? Whereas this time you're saying, tell me about your compensation and how do you feel like you're being compensated in business? Do you need more? How it? How are you? How's your workload? Um, that's a very yeah. different narrative to yeah. t- typical Western ways of working, particularly I couldn't speak for anywhere outside of England, really, to be honest. Right. No, fair enough. But, but yeah, no, that's exactly it. It is a, and look, I don't go into those meetings. Sometimes people say, I, I'd like to get paid more for this. And I say, I, I hear you. You know, I don't go into those meetings. There's no promise that just because yes. the, 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 the topic is open that we're going to be able to, to fix it. But boy, are they better off having shared? And am I better off for knowing mm. where they're at? Right. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's exactly, everybody yeah. is better off. Um, I, I you know, have been found this really interesting going through recruitment over the last two months of being like, I, the, the responses that people look at me a bit like, and, I, and I'm kind of like, what, what salary do you need? 
like and want. So like to sustain your way of life and your, your yeah. happiness and how you are, what, what what do you need? Tell me. Um, if it's over the bracket, tell me it's over the bracket. Um, because then I can make a decision. I could go, right, I'm gonna employ Chris, even though I know Chris is 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 already needs something over the bracket. Um, so I'm gonna make him an offer. I might go out of bracket, I might not, but I'll make him an offer, and then at least I have in my head, I know Chris wants to get to X salary, so I need to get there quick if I want to keep him. Or I just go, look, Chris, I'd really like what you do, mate, and I'd love to employ you, but I cannot provide you with the remuneration that you need to sustain your way of life. And and if you if we did that and you cut too much, there's going to be a real tight time frame on that, which I don't think I can deliver on. Or we go, look, this is all I can do. I'm going to work my fucking ass off to try and make sure you get to that point. Like, it's just operating off of this point of, like, openness and honesty. That's but right. people are really uncomfortable with it. They think I'm playing a game with them to, like, you know, the old, like, so what are you currently paid to, like, undercut it or, or like, not pay as much as I want? And I'm like, please believe me, I'm not coming from that space. I'm coming from the space of, like, I want you to come and work for me and I want you to stay with me. So I need to know what you want. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you put your finger on something very important, which is, I think at the focus of so much of this leadership work, you know, listening, for example, which is just a huge piece of work. And actually the, 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 the program that I'm creating out of this framework, um, a lot of the, so, so there's content, you know, in, in, in each of these modules, but it's a 12 week program, um, called the clear path to executive leadership. And the, the content is just a small part of it, right? So much of it is about practice. How do you how do you listen to people? You know, how do you um, actually empower people in a way that where they understand what you're asking them to do, and you understand that they understand, right? So how do you kind of close the loop on on how you empower people? But to your point ab about these conversations, you know, so much of about it, so much about it is building trust, right? Building trust yeah. over over time with people, and so you know. If you're, you know, if you're not able to build trust as part of that hiring process, then it's going to be a lot harder for somebody to, mm. to, to sort of, to say that. Um, yeah. And, and like, so when we first went to market for the first role we recruited, someone who was way out of bracket approached us and was like, I want to work for you, but we need to have a conversation about this. And I was like, I want you to work for me but we need to have a conversation about how this works because I know I can't afford you and and you want to, and it was just this honest conversation that we could have yeah. where we were like, do you know what? I think we could actually work something out. You go away and have a think about that and I'll go away and have a think about that. And yeah. then let's come back and see what happens. And now I know I'm very happy with with him and the team. I, I, I believe he he tells me that he's very happy with us as well. Right. But like if we if we both didn't have this really honest conversation with each other, that was just kind of like, tell me what you want. And like, and I was really clear, like that needs to be not not like oh i can survive on this it needs to be i can still have a takeaway on friday i can still go for a beer and, and do the things i want to because if you're miserable because you can't afford life like you're not going right. to work very well for me and that's not what i want you don't be very happy um right and we were able to have that honest conversation um so i've i've seen it work i've, I've literally seen not through like design it just was me and him just we made it happen and then we were like shit that was really good actually and i've learned so much in that in that process from him coming on board 100 percent. that's awesome that's awesome so um, um chris i'm conscious of time um and yeah. i want you to i want you to plug this product um that you've been telling us about so run yeah, me great. through what what is what is the product so you said it's a clear path it sounds like it's a, a program with content and stuff but like run me through it kind of cradle for grave and who it's for and so on i know you said exec leaders yeah so it's really it's for leaders who are really stepping into that more senior role so they're stepping out of that player coach role where they're kind of you know on a team but 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 kind of contributing technically and and more into this senior role and you know my observation is what what these folks really benefit from is some support in leaning into curiosity instead of knowing the answers, leaning into curiosity, obviously still carrying their expertise with them, but, but having it play a supporting role instead of being kind of what they lead with. Um, so it's a 12 week program. Um, as I said, we've got content around, you know, curiosity, listening, empowerment, accountability, and results. 
people do a little um, mini project as part of it, which is directly relevant to their work. It's not like a, you know, BS kind of add on thing, but we give them feedback on, on, on them advancing a specific work project. Um, there's group coaching as part of it, which is like supporting each other in leadership challenges, but also learning to practice listening. Um, and then three one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions as part of it. So focus on your strength as a leader, focus on, you know, your strategy and empowering people. And then, and then focused on the last one focuses on how you kind of go, go into the world and, and bring results. So, you know, if you're a leader, nice. if you're a safety leader, um, or if you're somebody in the safety world that is, is trying to grow your influence, um, and wants to kind of learn to lead more effectively, you have to be really interested in your own leadership for this to be something that would be a good fit for you. But, but if you are, and if you want to join a community of other people, um, the easiest thing to do is go to clearfieldgroup.com and we have like 12 book a call CTA buttons. So just find one of those, book a call. It'll be just you. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, find a button. Um, it, it'll be you and me. We'll have a half hour call that's kind of about your leadership and where you are in the journey and, and, and what's important to you. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to get to get connected. Cool. And we'll make sure we put your website in the description below as well so people can go and check that out, mate. Brilliant. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, does it matter on like size of business? Because if like a really small kind of startup or, you know, just medium-sized business, um, would they still benefit from it? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so so I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Yeah, I do have people from some some smaller businesses. So, you know, the and we've been talking a lot about the complexity of small businesses in this in this time together. And that's really one of the things I'm taking away. But yeah, I think if you're, you know, if you are leading a team um, or if you I have somebody who's the the CEO of a 50 person startup in the program, um, they are or medical medical device uh, startup. Um, and, you know, my price point, I mean, I'm charging 3000 for the program, 3000 US sure. if you're somebody in a corporate role. Um, if you're somebody in a smaller business, um, I'm happy to talk about a discount. I give a discount to people like hospitals, healthcare, not-for-profits, civil service who are kind of doing good works. That's only 2000 US uh, for them for the program. And if you're kind of a smaller business who feels like this would be important for you, but, but that 3000 price point is out of reach. Let's have a conversation about that. Cool. Amazing. That's amazing. Thank you very much, mate. Hey, look, it was, I'm going to let go. Um, but it's, it's such a pleasure talking to you, mate. Thank you very much. I, if I could have hours and hours talking to you, I would, but um, unfortunately, you're, we've all got you're welcome. lives. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I'm going to be in the UK for the, the HSE Global uh, Conference. That's June 25th, oh, 26th. Yeah, Paul so, Clark's event. Yeah, Paul Clark's, Paul Clark's outfit. Yep. Um, uh, so maybe I'll see you there. Can, can, yeah, I'll have uh, a look, mate. A, I haven't been to one of his for a while, actually. Um, so yeah, I will have a look at that. But yeah, that's I cool. Think this I'll, I'll be put exciting. I'll put a link to the website for that as well in the in the Great. in the stuff below as well. Right, mate. Brilliant. I'm gonna have to shoot. James, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Great to talk to you. Take care. See you later. Bye -bye. Buddy. Thank you. in this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.